0: This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3508 for Wednesday the 12th of January 2022. Today's show is entitled, Differences Between C-Hash and Haskell and is part of the series, Haskell. It is hosted by Tukutoroto and is about 29 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is, Tututo talks about some of the differences between c and Haskell. Hello and welcome. This is Tura Turtu and you are listening to Hacker Public Radio. Today's episode is about differences between C-sharp and the Haskell. So, some time ago I was prompted to make an episode about the differences between the Haskell and C-sharp. I'm probably going to omit a lot of things accidentally. Uh, I write C-sharp as a day job and Tingle with Haskell as a night job. So, uh, let's get started. The two languages have pretty different origin. C++ was des- designed to be a practical language for real-world problems. When they made the made the language, they were thinking of how people could how how people could use this to make useful programs that solve re- real real-life problems. Haskell, on the other hand, was designed to be a language for programming language research. So. The, at the time when the uh, when the Haskell was sort of invented there were uh, researchers who everybody everybody like you everybody doing programming language research were writing their own languages and the, that was hindering the research so they formed a committee that uh, designed a language that uh, that uh, people could use to do the research so that the Sharing the reser- uh, results of the research and collaboration will be easier. So there's the Haskell, and then there's a whole bunch of extensions. So uh, like you have the core languages, and then you then you can enable all kinds of various things. It's a advent- adventure in itself to look through all those different extensions and trying to figure out what they do. And sometimes learning new things in the Haskell is like reading a bunch of math and computer science papers because that's what it really is. Okay, so the different main parad- paradigm. So C-sharp is mainly ob- object-oriented. So they use objects that encapsulate the data and methods that modify the data. They are tightly bundled together. And data and met- methods are defined Usually together, and if you if you uh, class has an interface, it's defined the uh, the interface is defined somewhere else. but if your class implements that interface, it is uh, sp- specified and defined at the same time as you are implementing the rest of your class, so they are really tightly ca- tightly packed together. There's a system called extension method that you can use to add new methods for existing data. But these are these are not used that much. And the subtyping is normal. Every 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 object in the C-sharp inherits, if nothing else, than object. And often, often designers create object hierarchies. The classical example that there's an animal, and then there's a dog that is an animal and cat that is an animal. So they form a hierarchy. Uh, Haskell is purely functional, so data and functions. and Data and functions are not tightly packed together. So you define data in one place and functions that modify or use that data in another, another place. And if you want to have, uh, uh, two, two sets of, two different types of data that share something, some that you can perform similar operations, like you would like to call a function with the same name over two, two different types of data, you use type classes to create that. So, the, and those type class instances, are defined somewhere else than where your data is defined, or they can be defined somewhere else where your data is defined, so that the data and the functions aren't that tightly coupled in Haskell. Uh, functions are in Haskell world; they always take up parameters and return a value, and function called with the same parameters always returns the same value and this this is true even for the random numbers, which is pretty neat if if you really think of it so you can consider program as a one huge mathematical equation where you plug in inputs and receive an output of course, as soon as you start interacting with the real world then the then the realities show up like. Every time you read from the database, you are not guaranteed to get the same same data, of course, because that depends on the state of the database. But if you consider the, that the state of the database is a part of the input, then with the same inputs, you get the same, same same outputs. And subtyping doesn't exist in Haskell. You cannot You cannot make a data and build a hierarchy of those. Instead, you use composition... Do the same thing, and C sharp of course can use composition. Composition too, and depending on the people people writing a programs, they might actually prefer using composition instead of building a deep object hierarchy. The languages have a different take on the data. Like in C sharp, most of the data is mutable. So if you have a person. Uh, Object and you change the age of the person, then you have a you still have the same person object, but then now the age of that that person is different. Mm-hmm. Strings are one notable ex- uh, exception of this. You cannot change strings. You can al- always just create new ones. This is done for the performance reasons. So, for example, if you have a uh, some some string and you call a to upper method on it, you get a new string, as a as a result. So the old string is still the same as it was before, and the new string is all letters converted to the Apo case. Haskell, on the other hand, the most of the data is immutable by default. So if you have that person record, you cannot change the age. The person has an age. But if you call a function to change it, sort of, you are going to get a new person record where the age, age has been changed. The old old person record exists and the new person record exists, and the the difference between these is the age. One might think that this leads into a lot of copying of data and uh, huge performance issues, but because all the data is immutable by the default, you can share the data between the between the different uh, object uh, records for example. So in case of the this person example, the new person record would have the all the other values, they would be they would won't be copies of the original, they would be the values of the original. These two records would be sharing sharing the data except for the age. That is changed. There's a, there's a way to write mutable data. There's a IORS and STRF and, uh, the software transactional memory. They, they allow mutable data, but they are quite rarely used. There's a, there's a places where they make sense, but most of the, most of the time you end up writing your programs with immutable data. And of course you can write uh, pro- you can write immutable data in C sharp too, but that's not the norm. You usually have mutable data there. The languages have quite different execution model. This 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 is this was something that tripped me plenty of times when when I was learning. It still sometimes does. But uh C uh, sharp is strict language, meaning that the values passed to a function are evaluated before a function call so whatever if you have a function in your program and you are calling that function and giving a uh, uh, uh how would i explain this if you are calling a function in your program and parameters to that are parameters to uh, no arguments to that uh Function call will be calls to the another functions. Then those calls to the another functions will be first evaluated and values produced by those calls are given as a parameters to your original function call. In Haskell Haskell word, the Haskell is non-strict, so values are evaluated when needed. So in our case the original function would actually be called with something called Punk. so that this is just a computation that has not been performed so and only when the value is needed or it's explicitly forced it is computed so in essence you don't necessarily know the exact order your program is evaluated in Haskell but that that doesn't matter you, because the Haskell in itself can figure out what where, uh, what values are needed and when, and because the function calls are always with same parameters, returning same results, you you can order them however you want, and Haskell even evaluates the values only as much as it is needed. forced. So if you are giving a computation that computes a list of some amount of items as a parameter to a function and then you are inside of the function checking five first elements of that list, then only those five elements will be computed. The rest of the elements are not computed yet. They are just waiting there to be computed if they are ever needed. And this means that you can you can have uh, infinitely large 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 data structures if you want to, as long as you don't evaluate them completely. Like uh, if you write a open bracket one dot dot five close bracket, that that is a list with numbers from one to five. But if you omit the upper range, you get a list that has all the numbers starting from the one, one two three four and so on, and you can. Pass that around in the code base. You can even say to that list of all numbers that let's multiply all of your values by two, and then you have a list of all numbers multiplied by the two. And there's, that's nothing strange in the Haskell. And then at some point, when you say that, okay, I need, let's print on, on screen first elements of this list, at that point, Haskell will evaluate those computations and you get the five first elements printed on the screen. However, if you say that let's take the uh I want to know how many numbers there are, then the Haskell will start evaluating the list, computing the values, co- counting the numbers and, and keep keeping going until it runs out of memory. So you have to you have to think a little bit. What you, are, what you are doing. And the another another thing is that if you are passing around computations and those computations are really big, for example, you are doing a, a, manage, a... One example is that if you are building a long list of numbers and then you are summing those numbers together, then the Haskell will build you a computation that is basically 1 plus 2 plus plus two plus three plus, four plus, five plus, it will build the whole computation before evaluating it. And if the list is long, you are going to spend quite a quite a lot of memory to building up that computation. So in Haskell test term called space leaked where where you have a a fault or logical error in your application that causes it to use a Huge amount of memory. That's why, in some cases, you uh, specifically tell the Haskell that hey, please enforce this value. force this value. I, I don't want to keep keep it keep huge computation in memory. I just want the value and then I can pass it pass it pass it around. So there's a whole new set of different kinds of bugs in a Haskell world that doesn't really exist in the C sharp world. Uh, Type system. This is this is hard to describe describe in short. There's there's probably enough material here to make many episodes. Like this is this is really this is really fascinating and this is really complex thing if you start to at, at least I feel it that it's very com- complex thingy if you start reading out all the little details. But I'll try. I'll try. We can cover the very basics. So the in the C sharp the the type system. I couldn't even I couldn't find a, a name for the C sharp type system, so I'm just saying it's a sharp type system. And C sharp every variable uh, has a information like how much space it requires and minimum and maximum values it can represent. It members like methods, fields, events, so on that it contains. Uh, base type it inherits from. It's object if you haven't specified anything else. Everything inherits objects. I actually don't know what object inherits. I haven't ever looked into that. Maybe maybe it's a special case written in the system and it doesn't inherit anything, or it any, or it inherits itself. I don't know. And interfaces it implements and the kinds of operations that are permitted. And uh, in Haskell world this. This is from the Haskell 2010 report. Haskell uses traditionally Hindley-Milner polymorphic type system to provide a static type semantics, but the system has been extended with type classes that provide a structured way to introduce overloader functions. That's a mouthful and I don't actually really know what that means. But I know that it's a simple yet expressive system. You have algebraic data types. So that means that you build your data from basically enumerations not not c sharp enumerations but basically from types that list values that they can contain and you can combine those to form bigger types and so you uh, and then, then there's a um, syntactic sugar on top of that, so you can build, for example, records out of them. You have type classes for function overloading, so if you have two sets of, two different kinds of records, for example, you have a dog and a cat, and you want to, both of them have to have a, uh, and you want to have a function speak, that works for both of dog and the cat, then you have to define a type class, um, for example, animal that has a function speak, and then you have to implement that type class instance for the dog and cat, cat data, and then you can call the speak function with the dog data, and it says woof and cat, it says meow. Uh, types are capable of telling if function has access to input and output, among among other things, this, this is pretty neat. I, I really, really like this. And sometimes I sorely miss this in a big c program because it's a very big, big advantage when you are writing, for example, some complicated logic and you can spot immediately if some, some part of that logic inside of a, some loop is trying to read data from the database. You have, I have had, I have had several nasty performance bugs because of this. And there is no null in Haskell, so you, you cannot you cannot say that. Well, obviously you can say that some object, uh, some record doesn't exist, but that is represented represented on the type level. You have to you you are saying that in a type level that this this record may or may not be there and while you're programming you have to take that into account you cannot just use the data without realizing that this might or might not be null in c sharp there's a, uh, nullable types that are uh, basically the same thing but they have been, they were added quite late so there's a many, many, many years of C programs, libraries, frameworks, and whatnot that don't take advantage of the nullable types. So in the C Sharp world, you always have to be careful when you are handling reference type data that could this be null or not. So, but uh, it's just that's just how it is. Uh, syntax, uh, This this is... Uh first thing people usually notice between C Sharp and the Haskell. The, in my opinion, c doesn't really matter that much in this case. Like, C Sharp uses more parents and has semicolons at the end of the lines. Haskell uses less parents and has less, or oh, actually has no semicolons at the end of the lines. But it, Haskell has plenty of funny functions. Like, it has... uh bind operator that is often seen that is uh, less than, less than equal. It has the I think it was up function that has a less than asterisk greater than. So it looks sort of like a tie factor. And there's a there's a lots of plenty funny function functions, are uh, infix functions in Haskell and Reading reading the Haskell code when you first see those is tricky, but the, in my opinion the syntax in in itself isn't that big of a hurdle. The bigger bigger hurdle is that the programs are structured different differently because they like all these things that I mentioned earlier. This this leads. Into the fact that Haskell program and C sharp program solve the same, same problems in a quite different looking ways. So in, in C sharp, you have objects that form a graph that makes up the program. And those objects communicate with each other with messages, either like with our method calls. And you're often mutating state here and there. You, you don't have a centralized place where all the mutable state is and everything around that will be immutable. The, you usually see C-sharp program, you mutate state everywhere in, in your program and you can interact with the outside world from anywhere inside of your program. In, Haskell's, in Haskell, the, it's not the object that form the graph but it's a, uh, functions that form a tree That makes up up the program. This is the mathematical equation that I compared the Haskell program earlier. And data is passed into functions that return a new data. And the mutable state is confined to a very small portion of a program. Usually, of course, you can just you could write a program where you mutate the state everywhere, but That would be, that would be idiomatic Haskell and it would feel pretty clumsy to write programs that way. And interactions with the outside world are done from a very specific locations inside of your program. Usually, usually Haskell program tends to look like that you have a big or some size of core that where there is no mutable state where there's no interactions with the outside world that, that's the logic of your program that just works like give, give it input it gives you output output, and it's pure logic pure cal- calculations pure computations and interactions with the outside world reading the keyboard printing stuff on the screen doing graphics calling over the network interacting with the database uh, Dealing with the, getting a seed for your random number generator. All this stuff, that stuff is thin crushed outside of this pure core. So they solve the same, same, same problems with uh, different approaches. And the, both C sharp and Haskell can be written, can be used to write programs that solve the same problems. The so- solutions might look different, but both are general purpose programs. There's a lot of people who use Haskell for the, for writing production business software. And I, I imagine that there's a lot of people who use C sharp to do research. And these languages are borrowing features from each other. I don't I don't know how much Haskell has borrowed from the C sharp. I would imagine that there's something that that it has borrowed from there. And C C sharp definitely has borrowed things from the Haskell. That that's how the uh programs programming languages evolve anyway. And that's the point of the doing the research. So you get the well that's one one point of the doing the research, that you get the new features and new ideas that you can take into use in other languages if you deem that they are useful there. And I think it was the Simon Dayton Jones who said that the, one of the researchers who did a lot of lot of work with the Haskell uh, said that the, that the Haskell and C sharp started as a opposite opposite kinds of languages. So C sharp was very uh, uh, dirty or pragmatic language. That you could use that you could use to get stuff done and she and the Haskell on the other hand was very pure and useless language in the in the beginning the even printing on the screen didn't exist in the Haskell I have been told and slowly they have been moving towards each other, so Haskell has been grown more more uh practical and c sharp has gained some features from the Haskell and i I like both languages personally, I prefer doing my home homework like the my hobbies in haskell i I just enjoy it more, but at the worksheet shop works really really well. I don't think that if uh if we were doing what we are doing with the Haskell that it would be that much fun anymore anyway, because you have to remember that uh, usually when you are coding for for, for somebody else, that somebody else is going to say that I want these kinds of features, I want this thing to work like this, and you have this much of time to do that for me. So there's a whole lot of constraints that doesn't exist when you are coding as a hobby, because as a hobby coder, you can just take... As much time as you want to do something tiny, little, insignificant thing, you can just you can rewrite the whole code base if you feel like it, and nobody's going to say anything about that. There's two two completely different approaches to the programming, and I believe that 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 might be the part why I like Haskell as a as a hobby program because I can take a lot of time. To figure out the for example, type level puzzles like sometimes sometimes the Haskell feels like uh, sort of like a puzzle puzzle to me like there's this problem, and then I'm just trying to find pieces that fit together and build the build a beautiful picture out of that that stuff, but that is just because I have plenty of time to do that at home. Anyway, I'm starting to crumble here. Now. Uh that's that's the episode. So, thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me via email or Fediverse where I'm at or even that you could record your own hacker public radio episode. Adastra You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR is kindly provided by anhonesthost.com. The Internet Archive, and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.